0: This edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke.
1: And I'm Annie Warmke.
0: In a manner of speaking. And today, (laughs) we're going to talk about food forests or I can't see the forage for the trees.
1: Oh, you must have thought long and hard about that. Not very long. Okay. Okay. Before we start, I just want to say that we're in our new office and uh sort of we're in the temporary new office waiting for the new office to get sorted and uh so we're experimenting aren't we uh always okay but anyways we're in a new office this is pro this is process uh, process progress and we're moving our solar uh, installer certification classes and consulting to Marietta, Ohio. Okay,
0: blatant advertising. I don't there. care.
1: And we're still having our farm. There you go. And Blue Rock Station and our new
0: Food Forest. Okay, so what? What? Well, two things. Why Food Forest and what Food Forest? Okay, so what well, is it and and, and why?
1: Well, the real issue right now that even governments are looking at is how can we move from monocropping, which is where you just grow one crop on thousands of acres like wheat and soy and corn, main ones. And how can we move from that to being more sustainable? Because surprise, surprise, it is not sustainable. In a practice. And then secondly, because of climate change, we have to mitigate how we deal with plant life and human life and whatever. And so we're being forced to look at a lot of different ways that we could mitigate climate change and at the same time move away from this monoculture of these thousands of acres producing products, crops and one of the things that the un is saying is look by 2050 70% of the world's population is going to be living in cities and a lot of that is coming from this climate change and the need to mitigate what that means so what do we do and so one of the things that that lots of people have begun to look at and certainly over the last 30 or 40 years actually started ahead of where we are today with looking at food forests. And food forests were a way that our ancestors, our ancient ancestors, would have fed themselves because the forest is rich in food products, not just for wildlife, but also for humans. And so now we're the the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has finally said, hey, food forests are actually a thing. And we want to look at how we could uh, implement the concepts of food forest, so that we could begin to consider how is this going to change how we produce food um, in the as as urban populations grow.
0: Okay, so what is the difference between regular? I mean, I know what regular crop rows, you know, Row corn, cropping, soy. Yes. But I mean, we we always will will denigrate soy, uh, corn. but there are other things that everybody grows in rows uh, i mean
1: you your garden in your backyard is grown when i was
0: a kid we had a row of strawberries then we had a row of tomatoes then we had a (laughs) row of you know cucumbers or Uh whatever and then our neighbor would come over and eat all the strawberries because we (laughs) come home and find jim davis if you're listening sitting out in our garden (laughs) eating strawberries going oh these are so good but so anyway um So so those are those are rows. So how's a forest? How's a food forest different than that?
1: Well, a food forest is really when you're thinking about growing things, you're thinking in terms of how do we get the most produce or the most out of a a single crop? In food forests, what we're doing is saying, look, we're not just using the ground in terms of that's the level of where our tomatoes or our peaches are going to be. We're looking at all of the real estate as high up as we can get, like mulberry trees and pecan trees that grow to, you know, be huge heights, and we're gonna um, we're gonna look at all those layers beneath that pecan tree. So. Uh, We're going to look at root crops. We're going to look at vining plants. We're going to look at uh, berries because they're another layer, elderberries, another layer, um, dwarf fruit trees, and then maybe even regular fruit trees. And then there's the pecan tree. And all of those things are going to produce food. uh, And also may, you may grow things that are going to produce um, vegetables herbaceous plants or leafy plants Um, and and so that's a layer but then we also might grow some flowers that we want to sell or eat Um, there are all kinds of levels in that real estate that we're going to fill up
0: it's not just three-dimensional rows
1: no it's not in rows because that's not how the forest grows okay the forest grows willy-nilly So, But we're thinking about it in layers because we want to get the most opportunity from that real estate. But honestly, it really is about going out and throwing out some seeds or digging a little hole like an animal might do. A squirrel buries acorns all the time, and then we have oak trees.
0: So what's the advantage of these things not being... Near each other, because I remember as a kid, like, I don't know, sixth grade or something, and we were studying the Amazon rainforest, which was like an amazing idea at the time that there was this place that everything grew like that. And I remember the teacher saying, you know what, like oak trees don't all grow close together kind of thing. When you go to the Amazon, you might have one species of one plant and then. It doesn't show up again for another, you know, hundreds of feet away. And and it was just all scattershot like that, which didn't make any sense because you would think if seeds fall from a tree, that's where they're going to grow. Um, but but there's got to be a reason. There's got to be an advantage of of all of this being like confetti, like throwing everything up in the air and seeing where it ends up, you know.
1: Well, some of the advantage is shade. Shade. Uh, yeah. And so you you want to balance between how much shade you're creating because the sun is generally going to be there, but the shade for these plants to do well may not. So you're looking at shade. Um, the thing is, the forest likes things to be packed together. And so if I was yeah, going but to not plant the
0: same thing, packed no, next not to the each same other. thing. And so is that because one if one gets sick, they all get sick? Well, they or? help each
1: other really. And we know that from science now. Lots of studies have shown that that trees and other plants in the forest help each other when there's a problem. Um, and so we're not going to grow in rows. We're, for example, one of the systems that I've been looking at is um, the Miyawak- Miyawaki, um wilding rewilding system. And this guy was a scientist who. Um, who studied forests for quite a long time. And he said, look, forests take too long to develop and we need to have, um, we need to have more forest land because it's being gobbled up by, you know, people raising cattle and things like that and burning the forest down. And so he said, look, let's take plants that already exist and let's just willy nilly go into an area and let's bring community together, which is part of why I like his system. And we'll ask each person to select uh, a plant from one plant from three different groups and they just go and put it wherever. Now, it isn't quite as easy as that. So and it's
0: basically Jackson Pollock gardening?
1: Sort of. It is, because that's how the forest develops. However, the forest has a bed, you know, they call it the forest bed, that's created over time because first there's pasture, then there's weeds, they all die down, and then suddenly you're starting to make these layers of wonderful material, but very thin layer for the forest to produce what it produces. And so in in developing a food forest from the very beginning, one of the things that this rewilding system talks about is for people to go in and dig these ditches and fill it with some compost and remix the topsoil with it. And then that's where you do your plantings. But then the other piece of that is that you've got to cover up everything so the weeds cannot uh, snuff out the plant life. And then you're going to put in wood mulch because that's what the garden floor would be Constructed of, and then over two to three years, you begin to see there is really this forest growing because you've passed the succession planting of the grass, the weeds, the the. So sassafras. you brought all the
0: decayed matter. Yeah, in. you're
1: you're bringing it to where you want it to be. That was another
0: thing I remember from sixth grade, right? That all of the nutrients of, like the Amazon, are in the forest itself. That the ground is actually quite nutrient poor because well because have everything up into the into the biomass
1: well that might be some of that but really it's a it's a wild ride as far as fungus and the fungus that's there is needed for all this plant life and that's different than a row crop you'd have in your backyard because most herbaceous plants really want to have a sweeter soil than that that um that fungal, woody soil. So by adding wood mulch then on top of the cardboard that you're snuffing the weeds out with, you're actually sort of creating, you aren't sort of, you are creating this woodland floor. But let's also back up for a minute because you asked me a couple of questions and I want to say that one of the great things about um, forests and particularly food forests uh, is that they are able to mitigate um climate and so i saw this one study where they were showing this uh food forest that had been in existence in kent england for about 30 years and they showed last summer when it was so hot over 100 degrees fahrenheit they went to the sun and they showed it was a digital um thing that measured temperature and it shows the temperature and then they go under the damson pear tree and it's twelve degrees cooler, so it has an ability to help urban areas when, when we grow these foods this way uh, to to really help with the heat because we are, we are seeing more and more of these extreme weather. Um,
0: well, it makes sense. Events. When you're hot, you go sit in the shade. But I think there's also that issue. I know that that plants plants don't perspire per se; they transpire. And, and so actually the moisture that's being released by the plant will cool the surrounding air. Right. Um, that, so it actually, it creates that, that it mitigates the heat island effect of, of any kind of development.
1: It also helps to reduce energy usage because you're cooling the environment down. And so when when rain or dew is on those tree leaves and branches and tru- tru- trunks, um, the tree's able to absorb it to some extent and then evaporate it back into the air. But but the
0: world doesn't really. I mean, that doesn't really care what the plants are. You know, it could be trees, could be weeds, could be whatever. It's gonna it's gonna help mitigate the heat issue. So why is why is the government all of a sudden? Why is this the the bell of the ball in in
1: the it's agriculture? It's not the bell of the ball, but it is finally being accepted as one idea well because it had the the forest has these sort of transpiration evaporation kinds of things going on they're able to control storm water they can really be helpful and that is super super helpful with these extreme weather events where we're seeing you know like two feet of of rain in Colorado in the middle of the summer um food forest, particularly because they have so many levels, can really control how it's like that a rain forest, is.
0: Or it's like a rain garden.
1: Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Well, and it's not just the root system like in a rain garden that generally has smaller plants. It really is sort of like breaking the fall. Of the rain. So then the forest floor is going to be able to absorb it because it's like when you have a cistern, you really hope for it to rain slowly because you can capture all the water. But if it's raining hard, you don't get to capture all that water. And that, I think, is how food forests, the plants that are in food forests, work.
0: Okay, well, let's take just a break here for a second to remind everybody you are listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. Reminding you, it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. All right, so we're talking about food forests here today, and and I guess my question is, uh, you know, we're I'm getting a little bit confused. You're talking about okay, there are a lot of advantages to a food forest. Water management, a lot of biodiversity uh, helps the soil, retain the soil, keeps flooding, erosion, all of those kind of things. Um, is it realistic to think that this kind of gardening, this helter-skelter kind of gardening, can replace the industrialized food production um, system that that we have, you know, in the United States uh, specifically, or in the Western world, is this? Well,
1: I I don't know the answer to that, and I, I'm really not. To be fair, interested. <laughs> it's not up in, to me. No, it's not up to me. But I'm, what we I'm can. I'm not the
0: boss of the world.
1: But what we know, if I was, it'd be a lot different. Um, and thank God, but it's not. But here's the thing to consider: there's a lot of forest land. You know, if you look at like the state of Ohio, it is really, really, um, it's a forest state and, and a lot of that land is owned by government and corporations, not necessarily by individuals, but even if we just organized individuals to look at things like how to, how to, um, uh, talk about carbon sequestering, you know, because carbon is sequestered in theory by a forest and so people are starting to if they have a lot of forest land starting to auction, you know, people can exchange. So if you work for it, a- you're AEP and you have to do something about your carbon, uh you're going to pretend to fix it by, you know, Oh, you're
0: talking about carbon credits and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, well keeping away from all of the greeny tree huggy stuff.
1: That's It's all tree huggy. It's all greeny tree huggy. What
0: what I'm thinking, and what intrigued me when you mentioned this, is is farmland. Farmland is increasingly prized, expensive, and all of that. Well, in the Appalachia region where we are, there's a lot of that marginal forested, you know, deer hunting land that can that kind of environment be turned into something that is profitable, that is That is a profitable farm using this kind of technique, where it just is not an option to go out there and plow it up and plant soybeans because, first off, it's it's more vertical than horizontal.
1: But it's not an option anyway because we we're proving it is not a reliable, sustainable way uh, to do business. Let alone to have. But I'm looking at it from a
0: farmer who just has this land and or a potential farmer and says, "I just want to make a living." this is something I could do, you know, um, with my land. Is, is that, is that true? Yes, that that
1: is true. And part of the reason for that is because it has happened before. And we know even when it wasn't managed in the way we're talking about, um, that people fed each other and fed their families, indigenous people, so hang on. Okay,
0: but I'm not talking hunt, hunter-gatherers No, I know, here, it. I know it's not know?
1: hunter-gatherers. So what I am talking about is the fact that if you, so let's back up for a second and say that if I wanted, I have a piece of land that has trees on it already that isn't being managed in any way. Right. And I say, hey, that is a blank slate. And it is. So what is in that forest right now that I can work with? This is how any business would form. And then what can I do with what I have? What are my real resources? And so the first thing that you would want to do is to bring in somebody who's going to do a forest management plan. And they're going to tell you everything about the topography of the land and what would do best there as far as trees and bushes. Um, most foresters don't know much about food forests and the plants that go in food forests, but there are other people that can guide you with that, other organizations. And there are lots of food forest, urban food forest groups out there, but hang on. So, so then the next step would be after I get my forest management plan is that I would be able to see, Where are the plants uh, that I want to keep and how could I have a market for those plants? And then what do I need to add to that forest? And how do I do that over a period of time to create products that are products I can sell to make a living and where are the markets for those products? Right.
0: So right now. Most people who have forested land who are looking at it as an investment, so to speak, are just saying, okay, we're going to just cut this sucker down Well, at some timber, point.
1: Timbering. And I mean, that's not what right. we're talking non-timber. about here. These are, yeah. these are the totally non-timber right. activity, although you may decide, just like you would if you were remodeling a house or you were looking at your um pasture land, what... What is it that I want this to do? How is it supposed to work? And then how am I going to make a living? So we may want to extract some. Definitely going to extract invasive species and right. probably well, some but that's trees. That's just
0: weeding your garden.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's just th- rethinking how forests have really. So you served. cut down
0: some of the trees because you got to have multiple layers. You can't have like that's everything. Correct. So for example, you got to have some open air. Yeah. So there. we
1: have because of some. Timbering, selective timbering we did, um, I don't know, 25 years ago. Uh, We have cleared, we cleared out a space and now we have what the foresters call a white oak nursery. So we have this, these couple of really beautiful white oaks that have grown up and all these babies around it. So we need to go in and clear out some of that, maybe dig up. Some of the babies? Yeah, well, because too much of anything is not... (laughs)
0: Uh huh.
1: Too much of anything all right. is not good. No, I
0: agree. And and there are all these white oaks. Well, again, now you're going to want to intersperse amongst that. What what kind of other plants would you be? Well, throwing lower.
1: In there? So you get you're looking for sunlight because you can't right. always you can't grow some things without it. And so you're going to be thinking about: Am I going to put some elderberries in there, or some more uh, trees that grow lower? Uh, and, you know, and use up that real estate where those white oaks have been. So
0: right now, when you're identifying plants that have a potential market, you've mentioned elderberries, that's one I know. Well, and
1: you raspberries, can, raspberries, blackberries,
0: blackberries. And, and how are you going to keep all the critters from coming in and eating? Well,
1: everything? that comes into your forest management plan. Right. So you, you you want to create some corridors and not that I'm an expert. Plant expert, something
0: for them to eat.
1: Somewhere else. It's like <laughs> right. redirecting your two-year-old. Okay, let's go over here and not eat the chocolate. Let's have an right. apple.
0: Well, that'd be another reason not to have them all right together. Because if, uh, exactly. if a deer finds one... Well, you know.
1: and you do, and you're right to point out that you've got to protect the the seedlings, the babies. And um, so, for example, in the food forest that we've created in a, in a reclaimed pasture, uh, we were able to extend our fence to eight feet by taking bamboo, which is a really great harvestable uh, product, and stretching deer netting. So now we have eight feet of fencing. Um you That's mean only eight foot vertical. yeah, eight foot vert- vertical, so that we don't have deer coming over or other critters coming over and eating all the elderberry layer of the of the new food forest
0: well, and and I know one of the things you complain about in the whole world of of food forest dialogue. Is a lot of people are all focused on on sort of the Chinese exotic type things like well, ginseng, roots, a and, lot of and, you know, and
1: black cohosh and black cohosh, mm-hmm. uh,
0: all these things that are supposed to be virility things or whatever. And and I suspect there's a market for that. But the thing I've always heard about things like ginseng and and that is it's it's hard it's hard to get them to grow
1: well people steal it too you yeah, know yeah. but i think there's a lot of misconception about all that and where the market is and so forth so again diversity diversity in nature diversity in growing i mean one of the things that happens when we're diverse in and we use all of this real estate that's available is that it gives us some pest control which is yeah. a huge problem that we're facing facing with climate change and mitigating that climate change um, with these diverse plants and heights of plants and in the ground kind of plant for you know it just has such great potential to help us because the the bugs the insects are and the and the mold and the fungus that is not good fungus is rampant in so many areas i think
0: diversity helps out too economically for the farmer i keep coming back to the economics of this but if you if you're a wheat farmer and it's a bad year for wheat, you're you're kind of you know up the crick yeah. um, but if you're planting, if your crop is what? 30 different things out there in the forest. Right. And it's a bad year for ginseng, but it's a good year for. Uh, or
1: someone steals for, your ginseng, for, which happens yeah, to a lot of yeah. people. But,
0: but, or it's a good year for elderberry or it's a good year for whatever. Well, I have got, you've got diversity. You've but got that is nature. Diversity.
1: For example, I know just from how I my, grew up with my grandparents, you know, they would say, well, one year uh, the walnuts do well. And the next year, the hickories do well. And maybe a third year, the acorns do well. Well, this is nature taking care of itself, saying we can't have too many things all at once because there's no place for them to be. Well,
0: you've just raised acorns. And is there is there a market for acorns? I've always been told, like, you can't eat acorns, you know, or whatever. Or you can only eat, like, one half of it or something crazy like if that. you
1: wouldn't eat one half of the toxin well, would be so bitter. But here's how... Acorns can be used. First of all, particularly like an acorn, like a bur oak, which is incredibly huge. It can be a decorative thing that yeah. you can sell. Um, a lot of decorative things come out of the forest, like from gum trees, and um, just a lot of different uh, products that can be harvested. I harvest uh, all kinds of stuff out of the out of the forest that I dry and make decorations with. But anyway, so. Um, an an acorn is incredibly useful. It, you have to get the toxin okay. out, so you put it in cold water. The the indigenous people used to put it in a bag in a in the stream and let the water run over it a for they a couple got it of at Aldi's days
0: or something like that. What? A bag? They got at Aldi's, you know.
1: I don't no think doubt. that was the case, right. but okay, okay. Smarty. Right. And and then um and then they would dry them, and they could roast them. They could grind them up for flour uh so they basically a the nutritious answer is, snack yes, to carry you can yeah but we don't do it
0: you just want the what is it, tannin or whatever The it tannin is to in, come in out it. of
1: it but it's also a great food for livestock yeah. when i've had well, that's pigs true. that's one of the things we've done to feed out pigs is to gather i used to gather acorns every single day and and um uh hickory nuts all right
0: well, in the thirty seconds that we've got left, or so, you know, what do you think? What do you think, sort of, the takeaway from this—the the future of of forest gardening?
1: I think we don't have a choice, and I think, <laughs> I think. it's so exciting that I it can it's, hardly stand it.
0: It's the end of the world as we know it, and
1: thank God because so. food forests are amazing, amazing healing for the planet. So
0: it's one of those things where the systems that we've created, the post World War II systems we've created, are crumbling around our ears. And we have to keep going back to our indigenous ancestors. Our ancestors, things.
1: bless their souls. You know,
0: buying local and eating raw and all this stuff. And being other
1: community stuff. with each other. So yeah. many of these things. We just need to lean on who has come before us.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our, what, verti- I was going to say vertically challenged. <laughs> <laughs> vertically integrated uh, Emmy Award winning <laughs> Adam. Uh, producer, Adam Rich. A and a really we nice thank, guy. <laughs> thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is...
1: Lean on those who came before you.
0: And there's more. Clean up okay. your own mess. And
1: clean up your own mess. And Jay, please eat your veggies. You need them.
0: Harvested in a sustainable food forest. All right, <laughs> until next time.